0: Hey everybody, this is Thomas flying solo here for this intro, where uh, I'm here to explain what exactly this audio recording is. For the Labor Day weekend, there was some scheduled conflict stuff where, uh, as you're listening to this, I'm arriving back home from Dragon Con. Adam had some stuff he had to deal with over the Labor Day weekend, so we put off recording a regular episode. Uh, don't worry, we'll have a regular scheduled episode coming up next But uh, for this, we decided to dig out something from behind our Patreon paywall. That's right over at patreon.com slash gedbpod as we like to promote on the show. If you just pay the $1 a month, you get bonus podcasts and get to vote in polls for certain things. And the thing you're going to listen to for this week is our top 10 robots from TV and film, which we put out uh, last February. ...on the Patreon, and we do these in our rotation of bonus podcasts. You always get at least one bonus podcast every month. Uh, this is where Adam and I each have a top ten list, and we go down our lists for, in this case, uh, robots from TV and film. Uh, and it's a fun time. Uh, there's a lot of interesting sort of twists and turns that are about for this particular one. But it's just a sampling of what you can get for, like I said, that one dollar. You get a bunch of bonus stuff like that. Or you get to vote in polls as well, which we sh- I should mention, uh, the week that this bonus episode is going out in the main feed... On the Patreon, uh, you all get to vote for a bad pick. September's here, but Halloween's around the corner. And every October, we like covering a bunch of different spooky topics. And uh, for October, the horror movie franchise we'll be covering will be Hellraiser, given they just recently announced on Hulu there'll be a new Hellraiser movie finally out there, uh, released on October 7th. So we're finally digging into that world of Hellraiser, and you all get to vote between my two bad pick choices. Uh, for that, uh, the two choices are Hellraiser Bloodline, the fourth film in the franchise, which is more commonly known as, like, Hellraiser in space, uh, which was the last big theatrical release and had, uh, Adam Scott in it, it's a very weird one that had a lot of production problems, down Smithy credit, uh, for the director, and then, uh, the other one is Hellraiser Hellworld, I think it's the fourth one released straight to video, and uh, is also mainly about a bunch of MMORPG players who play this Hellraiser-style game uh, that go out to a rave, um, and uh, they have to face off eventually against the Cenobites, and Lance Henriksen's in it, a young Henry Cavill's in it, so there's a lot of fun to be had there. So it's between those two, Bloodline and Hellworld, that we'd be covering for that episode. you all, who are patrons, or edgelords as we call them, affectionately, get to choose... Uh, which one of those bad picks we cover for the episode in a poll. And now, without further ado, here is, uh, from behind the paywall, our top ten robots from TV and film. Enjoy. Edgelords, it's time we count down our top ten movie and TV robots. Thomas,
1: what is this thing you call love?
0: Oh, Adam, I didn't program that into your software. Then why
1: did you program me to feel pain?
0: Oh, that was just for fun. I'm Thomas
1: Mariani. And I am Adam Thomas. Yep, those
0: software updates really worked. Now you're uh, talking fully normal again.
1: Super clear. Super clear. Popping my peas. Yes, yes.
0: So, uh, welcome, Edgelords, to uh, the monthly episode, um, where, uh, you know, every month we try and give you guys a, a bonus thing, and it just as some sort of gratification for you supporting us every month, which we greatly appreciate. No matter how much you're spending, if it's just that one dollar or a bit more, we always appreciate it. Um, this month, Adam, we're doing... Our uh, top 10 lists, and uh, we've done a few of these so far, but this is the first time we're not just doing a top 10 of general movies or anything. We are doing our top 10 favorite robot characters in TV and film, which uh, was something
1: you wanted to do. Yeah, because it's awesome, because robots are great, and they've been a part of the sci-fi experience or the fantasy experience of children and people everywhere uh i mean how cool is it like when you're playing as a kid and you think of robots and all this exciting universe and i mean of course star wars probably had a lot to do with that but robots to me are just the ultimate and sort of sci-fi fantasy
0: yes yes of course and obviously they've been a thing in literature and film do do you know where the uh the term
1: comes from adam no i'm not a Fucking dork.
0: I think this podcast will make many people realize that's not the case. Um, but it comes that's... from in uh, the 1920s, there was a play called uh, R.U.R., Rossum's Universal Robots, that originated the term.
1: Cool. <laughs> oh, sweet. That's so badass.
0: <laughs> Look, I wanted to get some education material in here, clearly. that's uh, Before we go into um, less of a nerdy sphere and more of a geeky sphere, because folks... Um, We got to tell you that uh, in the planning stages for this particular episode, uh, we had a discussion that is maybe the dorkiest thing we've ever done. And we didn't record it, but
1: God, if you all heard it. And it was at a shocking length. (laughs) (laughs) It was hours
0: long. This was basically introduced It's just like, okay, top ten robots, sure, that'll be simple. And then I just brought up a question to Adam at one point after recording about like, so does like a cyborg count as a robot? And then that just started a whole That's thing.
1: Spiral was ridiculous. <laughs> to the point where I had outside parties get involved. <laughs> it's, it's, it's ridiculous.
0: Yes, to the point where there are rules and parameters for this list we're going to go into before we do our lists. Um, just as a start,
1: though.
0: Jesus just as a start, just to give you all the mindset that we were in. Um, but first, the obvious thing that's true of any of these different lists, um, for any of the Patreon lists, the first nine entries that we mention are not in any direct order, but the last pick we do is our absolute number one favorite. That's been the case since the beginning, that's what we always usually stick to. But now, for this specific list, the dorky parameters are, one. These robots can be from TV and film depictions only. Obviously, if it's adapted from source material, it would be the screen depictions that would be allowed. Two, only robots with mechanical parts are allowed. No cyborgs with human parts or automatons brought to life through magic without any wiring or components that would be computerized. Let me finish before we keep laughing about this. Um, (laughs) uh, Three, if a robot has synthetic skin a la the Terminator or consciousness of a human... Um, being in a physical robotic form without any other human fleshy parts in there, like Keanu Reeves's robot double and replicas, as we've discussed on the show previously. Those are allowed. But at the same time, uh, number four, no artificial programs with a synthetic computer environment are allowed. So no Agent Smiths from the Matrix, as an example. And then uh, number five, um, only one robot per franchise is allowed, but a group of the same model of robot could be allowed. So, i.e., you could put either C-3PO or the battle droids as an entry on there from Star Wars, but not both.
1: Yeah, (laughs) no, that was probably the hardest one, though, to navigate through the sort of the Star Wars uh, rabbits or droids. I'm also
0: very curious, Adam, because on our previous two lists we've done, we've only had one repeat on each other's lists. And I said to you before uh, we decided, when we decided to do this, I would suspect there would be more than one repeat between our two lists and you wanted to challenge that you figure that you would pick more obscure choices that you didn't think I would have
1: uh yeah I mean I I don't know if I went that obscure but I definitely tried to go a little bit off the cuff after picking them maybe we'll have one or two repeats but I also have a full list of honorable mentions as well uh which you know I could cheat and uh trade some of the honorable mentions for the repeats you never know yeah,
0: I, I could never know if you were going to do it unless you confessed it so this is recorded but um no it'll be interesting so and we'll be doing this the way that we usually do the list in terms of reading them off where uh, one person will go first then another person will go back and forth and you know what adam since you're you were the one who wanted to really do this list why don't you start what's your uh, first entry on your robots list
1: well at number 10 counting down i have uh which is the first rubit character that i can remember actually terrifying me uh is the classic terminator one arnold t800 i think it is probably the most terrifying depiction of a robot on screen i argue that it's one of arnold's best performances ever and it's still chilling to watch to this day.
0: Well, Adam, uh, we are already starting with a repeat, because that is also on my list. I had I was going to go a bit lower on here for it. wasn't number one, but it was there. Um, yeah, I, I, we can talk about it a bit more. Yeah, the T-800, <laughs> I think, is... Um, obviously, a lot of people would sort of gravitate to the T-1000, which you don't blame them for. Obviously, the T-1000 is dope. No, of course But at the same yeah. time, I think the T-800 is such uh, like intimidating presence, because in that first Terminator movie in particular, he is like a slasher villain. He is an upsetting, oh, monstrous okay. creature. I saw it driving over the summer, and he's still so intimidating. And Arnold rarely plays villains, but he was so good
1: at playing a villain in that particular part. And I, I, and I love the little things Arnold actually brought to it, to where he wanted him to be like a shark in the water, and how his eyes will go from side, and then his head will follow, and then go to the other side, and then his head will turn to match his eyesight. Those little details would make it A, believable, and B, just terrifying.
0: Yeah, and also it works despite the fact that, like, the original Inception that James Cameron had, I was going to have, like, a guy that blended into the crowd, like Lance Hendrickson was who he thought of as originally for the Terminator, and then he decided to go with Arnold.
1: Not a terrible idea, Lance Hendrickson as the Terminator, but I would never say Lance Hendrickson blends into a crowd either.
0: That's true, but he would blend into a crowd more than giant-ass Arnold Going around, just like, he's gotcha. not very inconspicuous at all, <laughs> to say the least. I could gotcha. believe Lance Henriksen would exist in our reality as opposed to, if I saw Arnold, I'm just like, you're a, you're something different. I don't know why.
1: <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck, Arnold. Yeah, I agree.
0: No, but, um, especially even, like, in the original movie, I love how the primitive sort of special effects of 1984 actually worked to the advantage of that movie, where whenever Arnold has, like, the eyepiece, it looks jittery in a way that looks like an android and has an uncanny valley thing suddenly come out.
1: Oh, absolutely. I'd say 95% of the practical effects of that movie still hold up. There are a couple scenes where you're like, eh, where it's the fake Arnold head in the mirror, where it's so obvious. Yeah, it still looks legit. It's still terrifying. And the, the base design for the sort of the uh, endoskeleton of the T 800 is just nightmare fuel.
0: Yeah, particularly when we get to part two and it opens on the horrible dystopia
1: and you see it just turn and come out of the. I few, and you're like, oh, fucking shit. Right,
0: that's true. And how do you feel sort of about, I guess, the use of Arnold in some of the other movies then? Because he plays a T 800 obviously, in many, most of the entries of the franchises. Um, obviously, T2,
1: I know you're a fan of, but from
0: there. Uh, I'd say T2
1: was probably the last good one. Not necessarily franchise-wise. Well, it is probably franchise-wise. I think the rest are very hit and miss. Uh, but I think that's the last time Arnold... Because Arnold, it was a perfect sort of counter performance to the first one where the first one was so terrifying and the second one he's still incredibly intimidating and you know he's like not to fuck with but there's that sort of childlike you know wonder to him as far as his relationship with john and stuff that really sort of bring it full circle and i think the rest of the movies are sort of a pale imitation of either one or the two
0: yeah, I mean, I love in T2, the smile, I think, is Arnold's peak comedy uh-huh. moment. It's such, like, a funny, fucking awkward thing to see him try and smile. It's so good.
1: That when he picks up the toddler. Yes, right. <laughs> From the back of its overalls and lifts it, like, to that kid, like, 30 feet in the air. But right. now reality like, 60.
0: Though I will at least give credit to I think in T3, there's still some, like, fun action beats in particular using that character. Like, the big action sequences like, that takes place with, like, the crane. That's actually mostly practical. Um, I think is one of the, the better ones of, like, the later sequels in particular. And I even... I I know I we have this difference of opinion, but I think the use of him in the uh, Terminator Dark Fate is at least, like, the best use they've had, honestly, so far with Arnold post-T2, in terms of just, like, having him off to the side and this, like sort of weird, like, familial relationship he's had, I think is the most creative use, at least, of, like, that character. That isn't just the same repetitive thing we're talking about.
1: I'll, I'll give it the creativity behind it. I, I do agree with that. But other than
0: that, meh. And plus, I think it's a better send-off for Arnold with that franchise than what they try to do with either Genesis or fucking T3. Especially Genesis. Genesis is a fucking dumpster fire. Yep. Anyway, um, I guess it's time for me to... to finish... To to pick another one since you stole one of mine right off the bat, I'm I'm very curious if this one's a repeat or not. um, But uh, I have a robot that I mostly knew just more from like pop culture osmosis, but I did recently see his debut feature, um, and I really like him in it and his other uses in pop culture. I think he's fun. I have Robbie the Robot from from Forbidden Planet, who I think is just sort of like the perfect classic 50s era robot, and I think especially in like because I knew him mostly like I said from pop culture like. He's in an episode of *The Twilight Zone* where it's really just his body, not his head. Um, he shows up in *Gremlins* and a few other things, but um, I always liked that design when I was a kid. I just think that's sort of like, especially whenever I drew a robot as a kid, it looked basically like Robbie the Robot because it's such like a perfect design for like what a robot would kind of look like. Um, and then when I I recently saw *Forbidden Planet*, he's such an interesting character in *Forbidden Planet* where he's kind of an asshole. He's like a he's a very sort of like gray morality character if you haven't seen forbidden planet basically it's the tempest where like leslie nielsen and a bunch of other people in the 50s are in the starship they land on this plant that's being ruled over by this guy who's like a scientist sorcerer guy and has been living there with his daughter for a while and also the robotic assistant robbie who constantly is like very pithy even though he's like giving people all these different um, like things that they want. He also does it with an attitude. It's a, he's a very interesting character. But yeah, I think especially even compared to like the Lost in Space robot, I think I prefer a Robbie who has a bit more of a distinctive personality to him. No matter how many different times they used him in like weird sci-fi projects from there.
1: Uh, Robbie the robot was originally on my list, uh, and then he got bumped to honorable mentions. But yeah, I think he, I think you've said it all. I think Robbie the robot is probably the most iconic and look alone sort of classic sci-fi robot you could show that to anybody whether or not they know the name or anything they've seen that robot
0: yeah if you've seen a joe dante movie you've probably seen that robot
1: <laughs> you've seen robbie the robot yeah exactly i mean and i've seen i don't know how many episodes of like even mtv's cribs or other shows like that where so many people have a full-scale robbie the robot in their house that's how identifiable and iconic it is so i mean yeah absolutely a good call like i said he was on my list i did bump him but he is absolutely uh number one on my honorable mentions so yeah I, i mean you can't argue with robbie the robot
0: yeah and also just the fun thing of him being created mostly as himself Throughout various different yes, projects, though, so, right. Which a credit though to the guy in the suit was a uh, Frankie Darrow, and at least originally, uh, Forbidden Planet, and the voice is Marvin Miller, who was in most of the different appearances. It was that voice. Uh huh.
1: Absolutely. Good. Great call.
0: Uh, but w- what about your next great
1: call, sir? Go ahead. <laughs> you mentioned him in sort of a decrying matter, but I have Robot from Lost in Space because it does not have a name because. Danger Will Robinson is one of the most identifiable sci fi lines of all time, and it comes from this robot. It's a perfect sort of companion for a little boy in this sci fi sort of epic show. And, you know, whether it's the original show or the new Netflix show or even the awful movie, uh, the robot's a big fucking deal, man. And it, you get the idea why. This kid would be so beholden to it. And this robot's almost like it's bodyguard and protector. Um, I, I just I absolutely am enamored by that robot and all the different looks it's had and everything else. But still, that one line is so iconic in the annals of fucking sci fi movie history and television history to where it's like I, I, I had to put him on the list.
0: I mean, I I mentioned him in slightly a decrying manner, obviously, before, as you mentioned. Um, I I like, you know, the robot from Lost in Space. I I think I just had a lot to do with, one, my first exposure to Lost in Space at all was that dumb movie. That terrible, awful movie. Where, to be fair, I like the design of the robot in that movie. Um, I'll at least say, hot take, I at least prefer it because it doesn't feel as much as it's ripping off a distinctive design of another robot as even the original is. Because the original, it's very much like a cheap Robbie the Robot. That was always my problem, really, with it.
1: To the point to where I honestly, uh, when I was younger, thought it was the same robot.
0: Well, even there's an episode where Robbie guest starred and he was like a villain
1: robot. Yes, that's very true. And
0: they fought each other. That was my one of the few episodes I saw the show and my favorite, because I was pro-Robbie. Robbie should have kicked his ass.
1: Fair enough. <laughs>
0: um, but, but no, yeah, that's it's still an iconic portrayal, and obviously the danger Will Robinson. All credit to the voice actor, of course. For uh for, for oh, doing that, yeah. Um which um, I should pull up his name. Um Dick Tufeld is the voice of the robot.
1: Good for Dick Twofeld.
0: <laughs> uh but you know what I'll go ahead and go with my next option here. Um and I have another one from um an older sci fi story. Um, but what I it's another one I recently saw, so it's a bit lower I guess on the list, but um I love these little guys. Um, they are the drones uh, from Silent Running. If you're not familiar with Silent Running, basically, it's a movie from 1972 that stars Bruce Stern. has this guy who's been working on the space station for several years where th- this is a future where Earth's um, vegetation has mostly been completely destroyed. And this space station has like a whole botanical garden that's basically trying to keep vegetation alive out off of earth um and brewster is so dedicated to it that when he finds out the space station is supposed to return back to earth and the mission's over uh he goes a little crazy and uh starts basically uh killing off the various different people one by one or jessing them out and stuff and so he becomes the only human on there but his companions are these little robots who are mainly sort of these designs where like they're square figures that have
1: like little arms that jut out you just got me that, because I'm like, is this the one where they're basically the little boxes? Yes. <laughs> yep, but, yep, I know exactly what you're talking right, about. Right,
0: the little boxes, um, but yeah, I, I love how they're very simple designs, and they have obviously very little articulation, but you grow so attached to these robots as they try and get Bruce Dern to have like some kind of reason for living after a certain point when he gets space madness, literally up there in this fucking space station. And he's trying to protect the vegetation. And, like, they're also helping him, but they're kind of ineffective after a certain point. It's such a weird, like, cute, charming ineffectiveness that makes you have more personality for these robots that don't seemingly have that much. Um, and I love they're also called Huey, Dewey, and Louie. But um, I, I love the way that um, they basically breathe so much life into these characters, and Bruce Dern reacts off them so well. And by the ending of that movie, spoilers, it's a bit of a tearjerker. And man, I get, you get really swept up and just like, oh my god, these poor little fucking droids. Uh, which is also interesting, because you can clearly tell it's inspiration for not just like Star Wars droids, like there's so much of the various other background droids are all like the origin point, it's very clearly silent running. But also even um, another show that's all sci-fi-ish, I'll probably mention a robot from on my list. There's a lot of influence this one has. Uh, and if you haven't seen Sound Running, I would definitely recommend seeking that out. That's a it's a very sort of like lost to time sci fi film.
1: You know, that's one I've seen once uh, when I was way younger. I have not revisited it, but I'm I actually I'm always on the lookout for forgotten sci fi gems. So that's definitely one I want to revisit. And I'm I'm really happy that you called that for one of your picks because that's always the fun of these lists to sort of rediscover. Or discover for the first time a classic. So awesome. Awesome call.
0: Well, let's see if your next pick does that for me, Adam. What's your next robot pick?
1: It's not, it's, it's not going <laughs> to be. <but>. Okay. <laughs> My next robot pick, uh, well, it's Bishop from Aliens. You know, we talked about Lance Henderson playing the Terminator, and yet we got him playing this in another James Cameron movie. We got him playing a robot. And uh, I, think, I think Bishop is just fucking fantastic. There's nothing. My eyes are absolutely glued to the screen and Ty Bishop's on. Um, He's a robot that is able to display so much sort of compassion and yet still feel alien enough to where he's computing the whole time. It's just, it's a wonderful, wonderful performance. By the end, when he gets ripped apart and you see all the milk basically shoot out of him, you genuinely feel bad. And you genuinely, like miss that in the later movies which obviously they tried to reduplicate with creating the other robots in the in the sequels uh, but I'd argue like ash was great and uh, I have an honorable mention for one of the other ones but I don't think it's ever been done as well as Lance Henderson's bishop
0: um, yeah I have a different alien robot um, who I think will maybe be my next choice but before we go to that yeah I mean Bishop was definitely like the, the three major robot characters in the Alien franchise all really cycled through for me, honestly, on this list. Uh Um, And Bishop's a great choice, I mean, especially because at that point, Ripley has such a phobia of robots that when she ends up, you know, coming to respect Bishop, it works so well in the Aliens. It's such a, like, great dynamic between those two characters. And... Lane Tanner manages to convey a lot of that, like, sort of interesting depth without making him too emotional as a character. And especially when you get to, speaking of the sadness there, with Alien 3, where I would argue probably the best scene of Alien 3 is her bringing Bishop back up in his horrible, deformed state, and them eventually just, like, cutting it off, um, I think is, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's a really upsetting scene that really works. I think it gives you more closure than... You know, some people wanted that for some of the other characters they didn't quite get. And I think uh, that closure really works for Bishop, in particular the sign of respect that she has for him by the end. Which also makes Lance Nerksen showing up as the basis for Bishop all the more insidious and creepy by the end of that movie. Yeah, but then he
1: gets his fucking ear ripped off and it looks so awful and painful. So it kind of deserves it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> not saying he did. No, I mentioned Insidious, not oh, he's so sweet as Lance Edwixson
1: yeah <laughs> oh look at his big old weird eyes
0: and cheekbones <laughs> he's so gone who's gone you're gone you got gone little cheekbones <laughs> um uh but unless you have anything else to say about bishop i think i should get to my alien android on here um which you know the, the original had a pretty great robot and uh, you mentioned him earlier fuck it, it's ash from alien um, I personally would say what ultimately made me choose Ash from Alien is the fact that Ian Holmes' performance, who we recently lost, by the way, RIP Ian Holmes, incredible yeah. performer, yeah, a very sure. underrated character, actor, sure. does such a great job of playing this robot in a way where it feels like, oh, he could either be a robot or just a cold, capitalistic worker who doesn't give a single shit about actual human lives. And that's what makes it such interesting, like performance of a character. So when the reveal happens... The first time, if you don't know, you're shocked. But then also, you're kind of like, well, that makes sense. But like, think back on the performance, yeah. that makes 100% sense. Because um, he has this, like, sort of manager who doesn't really give a shit about individual needs kind of tone to him. That really works phenomenally well. And you can see why, like, even Sigourney Weaver at that point, the Ripley character is kind of trying to play it both ways. Where she wants to, like, have some kind of human connection with these assholes. But also, like, she wants to follow orders just as, like, to kind of... Proceed in the stupid capitalistic society that has been created by Weyland Yutani, and th- he works so well, especially off all these other characters, to the point where when the milk scene happens in that movie, it's just like it's the most horrific example of like um, fettuccine alfredo I've ever seen as an Italian that was really terrified. Just like it's been put against me, <laughs> my favorite dish, a mamma mia.
1: <laughs> yeah, and, and the newspaper scene. Yes. I mean, Jesus Christ! How terrifying. Yeah, no, Ian Holm is Ash. It's, like you said, cold and calculating to where it makes sense he's an android. But you'd also believe like he's just a titan of industry or this yes man to a, a CEO or something. Yeah, it, it's a it's a monumental performance.
0: All right, well, uh, what about uh, your next choice, Adam?
1: So my next choice is a silly one, but it's one that ever since I was a kid, I absolutely loved. And it is Joan Rivers as Dot Matrix in Spaceballs. Okay. (laughs) I I thought it was such a funny send-up of C-3PO. And I I absolutely love that movie. I think it's one of the best sort of sci-fi spoof movies, if not the best sci-fi spoof movie ever. So it's always sort of been endearing to me with her. I love the sort of little video screen she has in her chest. I love the really shitty wig that's supposed to be robot hair. I love that she's on roller skates. I love it so cheesy looking. But everything about it just makes sense to me and makes me laugh every time I see it.
0: Yeah, I mean, I remember that was probably my introduction to Joan Rivers as a kid with Spaceballs. And I mean, it's it's weird because it's not her obviously in the suit. It's definitely her doing the voiceover right, stuff. Sure. I, I love the design of Dot Matrix in particular as sort of like this uh, female version of c 3 P that really works. And I love her as sort of like the um, guardian of the chastity of uh, Princess Vespa, which is like the virgin alarm, just like, you watch out, buddy. <laughs> don't, don't fuck with me on this. Um, and yeah, I mean, no, she that that's a pretty fun choice. I would, it, it's not my honorable mentions, I wouldn't have anticipated it, but that's a cute choice. Thanks, man. I'll, I'll go ahead and go with uh, my next one, um, which is not necessarily a silly one. Uh, but it's, I believe if I'm right, yes, it is the most recent one on my list. Um, and uh, it's a great sort of turn uh, for this actress and a really great example of, I think, modern sci-fi in general. It is Ava from Ex Machina. Uh, the character as played by Alicia Vikander, who, if you haven't seen um, Ex Machina, basically the premise is... Dom Holt Gleason plays this guy who's like sort of a programmer for this Apple style uh computer program and he goes over to the home of the guy who runs this, you know, giant corporation played by Oscar Isaac, who is developing a lot of like interesting robotics technology over there at his home. And Ava is one of these robots. And uh I, I just love with the way that that robot is portrayed and the way that Alicia Vikander does it, it's, it's such an interesting thing where the robot is kind of unfinished. You can see like parts of her metallic core and stuff like that. She hasn't quite been finished. That works almost because like she's stripped down enough to where she's human, but in a way where both these guys have totally different interpretations of who she is. And she has her own sort of version of that. I honestly don't want to spoil it if you haven't seen Ex Machina, but I love the way Vikander kind of plays to the sort of different ways these guys kind of treat her. And how that ultimately uh, resolves by the end of the movie, um, and also just the way it looks. That that movie was a surprise win at the Oscars for uh, like the special effects work, and I think it's seamless. Even I was watch- rewatching. I didn't get a chance to rewatch the movie. I rewatched some clips before, and it still looks like fucking phenomenal. Where it's just it's like, oh my, this feels like the most realistic robot that could possibly happen in a way that's terrifying. Like anytime you see any of these recent robot videos, we're just like, oh look, they're developing them even more and more in a way that feels unsettling in a way we're just like oh boy guys we, can we slow down a bit to prevent the robot uprising maybe a bit guys but uh, I think uh, Fikander in, in particular like, I think she won that year for the Danish Girl um, which is a terrible movie uh, but she's pretty good uh, in it. though I would honestly say she probably actually went for Ex Machina and the Academy just didn't want to nominate her for it I, I think that's more the case
1: I this. think that might be the case Ex, Ex Machina is such a fucking just phenomenal film I mean, in every way, I I love literally everything about that movie. I love the acting, the score, the weirdness of it. Like when Oscar Isaac and the Asian robots start doing that dance Yeah. (laughs) And the ending is so bleak and disturbing and awesome. I I just, yeah, I can't, I, I love that film. And that film holds a special sort of place in my heart. The first time I was ever mentioned on a podcast I used to listen to a lot was on an episode that covered that show. And uh that movie, I mean. And I mean I just I absolutely am just in love with that film. It, it,
0: I love also the fact that I without going into details, I agree that the movie's are like very bleak. They also at the same time you're kinda of like, they earned it. <laughs> I won't say who, but they earned it. <laughs> you went through a lot. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I agree. Um, but yeah, so that's uh that's that choice. So Adam, what is your next choice?
1: Well, at number six, I think I have uh it's a it's it's sort of an obvious choice when this comes up. But it, he's so iconic, and I love that it's been the same voice actor doing it from all the iterations of it. And he's such a, just an honorable robot, and just everything that's it's Optimus Prime. I, I love the voice, I love how pure and honorable the character is, even though it's a big, dumb robot that turns into a semi-truck. Uh, it's just, if, if you're going to pick a Transformer, I think it has to be Optimus Prime. Uh, It just everything about him. I mean, even the old animated movie when I was a kid made me cry because, you know, like, oh, Optimus is dead. Like, it's just I, I, I think the character is so cool in design and sort of execution. And it's so iconic to where, you know, it's something that I loved when I was just a little, little fella. And then kids who are my age now know who Optimus Prime is and love him. It's just it's such a just a purely well designed, well rounded character that has become so iconic because of its simplicity. And yet there's layers to the character that make it fresh every time. I, I just think it's such a really really cool character.
0: Yeah, this is I think a pretty great example of our generational gap um because I did not watch Transformers I, I was not really around for like its big heyday in the 80s and uh then even with like the other iterations that have come out since I never really got into them. I think weirdly I think Power sure. Rangers kind of took that spot when I was a kid for me. Um, and really, the robot characters are only just kind of like, "Oh, cool! I collect all five of these, and they come together as one giant robot." Uh, and that's why I learned about capitalism. But um, with uh, you learned it from the uh, the Transformers. And I think at least Optimus Prime, where, like, my main exposure has been those Michael Bay movies, which aren't necessarily the best depiction of the character, um, especially when you, you mention the honorable stuff, and yet how many times in those movies he's like, I'm gonna fucking murder you guys if you don't do what I say. Yeah. <laughs> Shit like right. that. Um, but it has been consistently uh, Peter Cullen, I believe, is the voice actor. Yes. Um, And yeah. that voice gives you sort of, sort of, like, those feelings, I agree, that, like, of, like, this purity and this honesty and trying to protect the Autobots and all this other stuff. Autobots, we must control the (laughs) All-Spark. Right. That was apparently based on his brother, who was actually in the military. That's where he kind of got the voice from. Yes. Which I thought was interesting. That's true. Um, and, and has a lot of, I think, interesting implications, especially when Michael Bay kind of took over that franchise and made it even more directly militaristic than it was previously. Um, but, I mean, the Transformers, at least, like, I really like those designs. Even in those Michael Bay movies, as much as I don't like the action beats, I do like the look of those robots in their, like, usual official form. Like, even Optimus Prime looks really cool in those, those movies, uh-huh. consistently in the special effects, especially when you can see them clearly and the action sequences aren't kind of overbought i, I want to
1: add mm-hmm. for anybody who's listening you can avoid the transformers movies just watch bumblebee
0: right bumblebee which he makes a cameo in, and it's more of his 80s design which yep. i
1: liked the look of uh, yep. that
0: also honestly i would yep. recommend this is very weird but i think my favorite thing to come out of those movies is weirdly the um transformers i forgot what the ride is called but transformers the ride at universal I think is a pretty oh, really? dope cool. universal park ride. Yeah, honestly, I think it has the same sort of ride engine if you've ever ridden the Spider-Man ride over Downs of Adventure, where you're kind of in like this nope. little... Yeah, I, you're not a theme park person, I forgot. <laughs> but basically, you're inside a cart that goes around these screens in the Transformers when it's trying to find the, uh, the all spark, uh, Optimus Prime, and all the other robots, just like, we've got to find the all spark. And you're just going around, but it, I think it improves upon the stuff from, cause the Spider-Man rides from like 2002 or so. And it's kind of outdated at the ride mechanics. Whereas in Transformers, the ride, you are fucking gliding around and it's like weightless. And you're like, Oh my God, this is so cool. And fire effects and water effects are coming out. Um, yeah, I would recommend that ride over any of the movies. <laughs> For sure. Oh, right and the on. and at the very end, Optimus like leans down on like your right in front of your cart and he's just like, "You have served us well. You are an honorary Autobot, and you feel like you're an Autobot because you are That's dead ass."
1: <laughs> want that? I want to have that. I don't have anything else going on. That's
0: all I'm you've really wanted in that, your life. is just that him to say that, that to you. Never. I want to be an Autobot. <laughs> Um, but and even the Transformers, I, I would honestly say my favorite sort of um, of those characters, just in terms of what I've seen, I guess is more star Starscream, with uh, just his voice in particular. Uh,
1: uh, uh, I don't want to mention, uh, uh, Well, well uh, maybe, uh, maybe. To get we'll
0: get to that. Put a pin in that. Yeah. So I want to go ahead and go okay. with my next choice then, which wouldn't be a Transformer, um, but is another robot, mainly aimed at children, though adults can enjoy it. I've enjoyed it into my adulthood here. I have uh, the titular character from the 2008 Pixar film, wally i love uh wally just is like a an interesting character um for a robot character where he has so much personality and life in him in a way that there's a lot of animated robots on my list um well there's a few more at least yeah there's yeah there's a few more um but i think he has some of the most personality i would say of any of these robots, especially in the first, like, 45 minutes of the movie, where it's mainly just him, and then Eve eventually comes down. But I just love Wally just kind of going around trying to perform his menial task, and he has this kind of, like, weird Charlie Chaplin, Buster Keaton, silent film star energy of going around and just uh, doing physical comedy bits that really work and endear you to the character, and his love of Hello, Dolly, of all things, and the post-apocalypse sort of thing of Earth. And I just love, like, him scrounging around in the little place he's made for himself. There's a lot of personality and love in that character, in a way that I think really carries the movie through, even though I get what people have issues with with, like, the second half of that movie, but um, at the same time, I think his character stays so wonderfully consistent, and I really believe that he has this earnest interest in Eve, and Eve ultimately grows to, like, have some kind of, like, robotic emotional reaction to him at the same time. I I really am endeared to why. I think he's uh, just so adorable,
1: Adam. Now, I will agree that the character design is absolutely adorable, but I think this is... Exactly on the flip side of what you just mentioned with Optimus Prime, where the sort of generational gap sort of changes a little bit. This one was a little bit uh, kind of a miss for me, Wally. I I mean, I I appreciate it for its animation and things that I think it's gorgeous, but it's one of the few Pixar movies that I could never really get into. But I get why he's on your list. The thing is, he's one of those if you ask people their top robots in films, I, I guarantee you at least three out of five would mention either Wally or Eve and, and, because he is that iconic and he is that adorable. You you want to see him succeed. He's, he's the sort of the everyman in, in the case of a robot. And it's, it's a very cute design and I get why you picked it. It's just Wally is not one of, that I'm not very beholden to.
0: That's interesting. Yeah. Um, I'm fine, <laughs> but no, no, um, <laughs> but no. Uh, I mean, I get it. Uh, I, I guess I remember around the time a lot of people were criticizing as like, oh, it's just short circuit again, which I grew up watching both yes. the short circuit movies, and I remember liking Johnny Five quite a bit. But I feel like, but I, I would say Wally has a bit more of an endearing personality with less like even language capability. I grow so much more endeared to Wally as a character. And I think even you know, I think a lot of credit is also not just to the design and the animation, but also Ben Burt, who did a lot of the vocal effects for various different creatures in the Star Wars movies. Does a lot of the vocal ones for Wally, where he mostly says his own name or just certain other noises. That I think works perfectly for the character. And uh, yeah, I think he's, uh, he's a he's adorable little robot that uh, Adam would just kick into the garbage. That's fine, no problem, Adam. Yeah, I
1: probably I probably would.
0: It would just punt him right into the garbage.
1: Yeah. probably break my foot still fuck that.
0: worth it Um, but what about your next choice Adam
1: alright so my next choice I wanted to put a Star Wars droid but I didn't want to go with the obvious because I think conversation's over if you put one of the main two I mean honestly they're the most iconic robots ever but when I was a little kid and it showed the room of bounty hunters and there was that stupid IG-88 robot i'm like what the fuck is this and i thought it was so dumb and like what is this thing gonna do and then ig11 and the mandalorian happened and taika watiti uh did the voice and just everything about it i absolutely loved i love ig11 so much that it made a spot on my list i love that it, it's kind of stupid but it's so matter of fact about everything. Self-destruct sequence initiated. No, don't self-destruct, you know, constantly. And then he gets rebuilt by the Nick Nolte character and everything. I, I just absolutely love IG-11.
0: Um, Yeah, I do have a Star Wars droid on here. Um, I'll get to them later. Um, But I would say, yeah, IG droid, I guess, is an interesting kind of distinction. Because I agree, I remember I wasn't necessarily so sort of dismissive of IG-8 when I saw him in Empire as much as I'm like, What is that? How is that a bounty hunter? That's fascinating.
1: Well, that's that's what I'm saying. Yeah, I'm like, what is this thing? What can that do? Like, it just made no sense. I was never able to sort of connect the dots on it.
0: Right, because, I mean, the the other people, like, you have Bosk, who's got, like, the weird... Well, is he the lizard guy, or is he the other guy that's, like, the weird, like, almost insect-like... Guy that has no like,
1: Bosk is like the, the dinosaur
0: looking right, out. but no, the IG droid. I think it's interesting. I think the use of IG 11 is one of those things where when that initially started happening in The Mandalorian, I was worrying about like, is this going to be some like stupid fan service bullshit where he's just like a badass character? But I think they have that perfect middle ground of showing you what the IG unit can do, but also not going full on into fan service look how badass he is like i think some of the recent star wars stuff is guilty of and i think uh, yeah I, I agree i think ig11 really works well particularly in the season finale of the first season i think it's a, it's a really great example of getting you emotionally invested in one of those
1: droids he's on the speeder bike with baby yoda or whatever his fucking name grogu or whatever and he's flying through and he's spinning his arms this way and that all silly and just capping out stormtroopers yeah dude it's fucking badass it is fan service you're 100% right but it's fan service done in a in a proper way that's one thing the Mandalorian up until the last episode was really good at sort of taking these little ideas that people wanted to see more and making it their own and I think IG-11 is a perfect example of that
0: yeah without overkilling it with like an IG-11 right I think yeah they, they, may have, they strike the right balance between that and also just make him an actual character and of course Taika doing the voice is so fun um, yeah, that, that, that it works really well, but now um, speaking of kind of comedic, you know, ideas of robots, uh-huh. I have um, a, a certain comedic robot who I mentioned was uh, maybe influenced a bit by the various robots in drones in Asylum uh, Running. I have uh, one of a few different robot characters on this television show. I have Mister Tom Servo from Mammoth Three K. Servo, was that one on your Adam. list as
1: well, Adam? That's a repeat. Oh, yeah!
0: I won more than one <laughs> repeat. Blah, blah, blah. What happened? Um, <laughs> but anyway, no, with uh, Tom Servo, yeah, I there's a lot of choices, obviously, on MST3K. And I love Crow. I, I love even Gypsy and her weird use in those shows. Um, and even, like, some of the other weird robots that suddenly occasionally pop up on that show. But Tom Servo, I think, just has the most interesting personality out of any of them. And he's the one that stayed the most consistent, at least. Like, he's had the least amount of cast switchings that have happened on the show, from what I recall, he had like it was J. Elvis Weinstein in the first season, then Kevin Murphy through most of the run, and then in the two other yes. seasons it was Baron Vaughn. But I think he's still consistently been this weird kind of fun dorky character who also just has this like bravado that contrasts with Crow, who's a bit more like of a child as opposed to Tom. Crow was a
1: dick. Well, Crow's a dick.
0: Well, Crow, yeah, Crow's a, a dick and kind of more of a child versus... I think Tom, Servo, sort of, to be fair, also can be kind of dickish. But also, he oh, fancies himself course. a bit more cultured, and I love his singing. Yes! Especially Kevin Murphy's version of the singing voice is so fucking funny. He's such a fun character, and also such a perfect design of, like, he has... He's the shitty fucking, like, gumball machine. And he has, like, little fucking slanky arms, but it gives him so much like, fun to see that little design have this big, booming voice, and then also be able to do, like, different concertos, like the the one where it's at the big choir of Tom Servo's in little suits. Yes. Tremendous. He's also the one I think I had, like, the most fun hearing quotes from on mst 3 k whenever he references and stuff like that, and it's endeared me so much to Kevin Murphy as one of the different hosts yes. of mst 3 I think he's just, like, a fun like, comedic personality at the same time. But, yeah, I, uh, Tom Servo definitely wanted, the especially since I was a kid, I was introduced to so many stupid, different, like, pop-cultural things because of Tom Servo's different pop-culture jabs throughout my Absolutely. childhood in particular. Yeah, so uh, he was also on your list, then?
1: Yeah, I, I'll elaborate more on that in a little bit, a couple more choices, because uh, I also have a lot to say, and I, I might have uh, done a little bit of rule-bending, but, you know, fuck you. Um, <laughs> at number four... I have Ed 209 from RoboCop and RoboCop 2, obviously, and I think even RoboCop 3. But Ed 209 in RoboCop 1 is so intimidating. And with the way he growls and the animal noises and the way his little foot twitches when he falls on the stairs and the way he kills that fucking guy in the boardroom. I mean, Ed 209, there was no doubt that that was like a tank with a brain i mean he's so scary and the design of it is so cool and so well done with those sort of like i don't know what you want to call them like insect sort of kangaroo type legs that it had and it's just it's so badass and simple yet so complex to where it's a timeless design like that thing looks like it could be something that could exist today you could put that design in a modern sci-fi movie and it wouldn't look dated it looks so cool i love ed 209
0: yeah ed 209 was an honorable mention he was definitely one i really contemplated putting on the list i didn't most like because i knew like adam's gonna definitely pick that <laughs> so well, of course yes for sure um but and, but but yeah That's i mean bear. Uh, ed 209 yeah i i would agree is a phenomenal design and also i think it just works so well as the great satire of the movie in the case of like ed 209's introduction where he's like oh my god the sleek bass robot that you think you can control and they're just like oh dude you have 15 seconds to comply and they can't
1: control it, and that guy gets fucking swiss cheesed out there swiss cheese, mr kenny i think you better do what he says <laughs> and he like blows him apart it's a glitch you call this a glitch I'm very disappointed in you, Dick. Like,
0: yeah. <laughs> right. Well, I, I just like that's the thing is even the sleek design also works for the brilliant satire. Where it looks cool, but it's there for like this brilliant purpose. That's at the same time that Verhoven's totally going for. It. And even how like they, I love how they even managed to undercut it so wonderfully with him going down the stairs, have this giant intimidating thing. You can't go downstairs like it's like of course that would be like a dumb thing that a fucking capitalist yep. thing of a fucking company wouldn't even think of this big corporate thing that would be well, an oversight of course and the way that like it has the weird streaking noise when it's down there at the bottom of the steps is so fucking funny is <laughs> it squirming down there it's so good and also a really great example of blending the different special effects in that movie where sometimes it's like stop motion sometimes it's an actual big thing in front of everybody and it feels pretty seamless the whole time
1: absolutely i that, that like i said i think that's it's so iconic to where you know obviously we saw in the new robocop where they updated and it was so unnecessary but i'd argue out of even robocop and ed 209 ed 209 would be the one that you don't have to update for a modern audience it still makes sense like it looks great i i just think it looks phenomenal
0: yeah the the design still works pretty well, and yeah they just kind of had him as sort of a thing in the background of the sequels even He's just like he's there there's, there's Ed 209 again you liked him the first time here he is again <laughs> and again and now in the remake he's like, here again, but he's sleeker and he's giant and he's giant and also there's no none of that satire there with the droid with the robot yeah, no personality case. too no personality none of that yeah it's just kind of like a big thing.
1: I guess that's the thing about Ed 209. I think you kind of hit it on the head when you're talking. About it. It's a perfect sort of satirical take. But for being that big, dumb thing that was really sort of robotic and, you know, you have 15 seconds to comply. It still even had personality because of the noises it made when it fell down the steps. And where it looks almost like a, like a toddler trying to like, learn how to navigate steps. I mean, it still had personality. It, it, it's so well done. What an expert design. Well, that's just a perfect film. Anyway,
0: so... Part of the perfect film, for sure, yes, yes. But now, Adam, uh, my next choice on here um, is a robot that I would argue has a lot of personality. Another animated one um, that was one of the first robots I at least remember just, like, finding so enjoyable and one I doodled a lot whenever I was in class. I would just doodle, particularly the head of this robot. It is Mr. Bender Bending Rodriguez from Futurama.
1: Uh, Honorable mention honorable mention i know i said i uh, you know we've talked about how i have never seen futurama before uh over the last couple weeks i've started futurama and now i'm on season fucking five i'm hooked
0: okay well hold on let me say my piece because i was an og fan i'm that the new fan <laughs> <you>. <laughs>
1: professor professor farnsworth
0: well hold hold on hold on you know what you know a poser okay i've been around these streets longer yeah, than you yeah. have
1: no, no, that's um fine. <laughs> that's fine
0: But, but no, yeah, Uh, Bender, I've loved ever since I was a young kid and I watched not necessarily the, like I watched the, like the, the last part of the original run in season four when it was on. But yeah, I'm caught up mostly through Adult Swim with uh, Futurama, and man, I, I just love, especially the being a Simpsons kid. I was like kind of adverse initially to Futurama just because it was a different thing, but then once I like really gravitated toward it when it was on Adult Swim, I'm just like oh my god, the show is so hilarious and funny and sci-fi satiric. But especially Bender, I think is so ingenious because the the creator said said as much that like they loved using Bender because Bender was sort of this character that, like, they could have any horrible thing be said by him, and none of the TV censors would say anything, because, like, oh, he's a robot, he's not a human being, who would imitate right. a robot, and Bender is, like, so perfect, and John DiMaggio as the voice of Bender is, like, one of my favorite vocal performances in any show or any animated thing, because he does such a great job of managing to, like, have this voice that feels like it could be a robot, but also just sounds like a asshole Fraud douche that works perfectly for that fucking design.
1: Oh, absolutely.
0: And there's there's so many, like, fun things they do with Bender over the course of Futurama. Like, one of my favorite episodes is the honking, where they turn into a car, which is such a fucking yeah. funny bit. Or um, even oh, just, Bender will just have non-sequiturs that are so funny in the middle of this very smart show written by, like, writers from, like, Harvard and all these different places that have, like, mathematic degrees and shit. Like, you'll have really smart jokes filed by Bender doing something dumb, like singing B-E-N-D-E-R, BEND, <laughs> which I always got stuck in my head every time I saw that particular episode. It's just, he's he's such a fun character. that They're also able to manipulate in interesting ways. Like, one of my favorite episodes, that's just like a genuinely like great satiric sci-fi episode, is the one where he has sort of a, a fungus that's growing on him while he's in deep space, and life starts growing on himself. And he starts becoming attached to the society as sort of, like, a weird god. But then he can't control them after a certain point. They end up killing each other in a horrible war. It manages to make Bender, like, who is this character that does horrible, awful things, have a lot more genuine emotion and power and craft in a way that, like, they did for The Simpsons and they did for all the human characters in Futurama. They're still able to have that at the same time for Bender. Which makes him such, like, a fun creation. Even as the seasons kept going into the Comedy Central era and it wasn't as great bender was always a consistent fun highlight no matter
1: what yeah i was definitely one of those people to where like you were uh in the beginning where i was apprehensive about it because the same people The simpsons i'm like this isn't the simpsons i don't like it so now that i found myself sort of binging it now it's so smart and so funny and it's populated by just so many good characters like Professor Farnsworth, and uh, he he kills me. I mean, he might be my favorite character. But Bender is so good, too. And it, the thing is, Bender's that great linchpin character, like the Simpsons have with Bart, to where you could build a whole episode or an episode arc around him, and it's going to be entertaining. Anytime you build an episode around Bender, it's going to be good. It's going to be smart. It's going to be funny. Like I said, John DiMaggio's performance is so good. It's, it's so smartly written and what a great character. What a, what a, just a fantastic character. And even the, the sort of origin of his name is Bender because he was a robot that bends things. I mean, how fucking funny and smart and simple. I mean, it's just so well done. I, I absolutely cannot agree with you enough. What a great call! What a great character! And I'm so happy that I, I'm watching that show. I, I I just can't get enough of it.
0: Well, even joking aside from what I did earlier, like I'm I'm very glad that you actually gave it a uh, chance and like really enjoyed it. What's been your favorite like sort of episode so far?
1: Uh, one that I really liked is when they were on the uh, Amazonian planet. Death by snoo snoo. <laughs> yeah, death by snoo snoo. It's so fucking funny, dude. It's so fucking funny to me. Uh then when it would have shows Fry and uh uh Zap. Yes. Later. And they're they're like their body casts. And they're like, oh it was so worth it. It's so funny to me. I love that episode.
0: But what about um maybe a more specific Bender one in particular?
1: My favorite bender bit is when Fry had to move in with him to, in his little apartment. <laughs> He's like, I guess you put your things in the closet and it's huge. <laughs> it's a <regular> apartment. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a huge, irregular apartment. Like, that one was really good. Uh, another one when Fry was going to get his dog cloned and Bender just fucking killed the pig, basically. He's like, oh, now we can do magic together again. <laughs> like, that's so funny to me. But I like when Bender became emperor and he's like, build me a statue. And they do it. He's like, that's pretty good. Well, we went exactly to exactly your specifications. Maybe that's the problem. Tear it down and rebuild it. Maybe put a little more effort into it this time. <laughs> like, it's so stupid. He's such an asshole. I, I, I just, yeah, I absolutely am just enthralled by that show.
0: Or particularly uh, his evil double flexo my <laughs> It's just a fucking goatee. So funny. Yeah, we could talk about yep. the drama for a while, but let's get back to our robots list, Adam. Let's get what's the, what's the next one on your list?
1: Uh next one on my list is one that you mentioned earlier, because when I was a kid, I thought it was the coolest looking robot I've ever seen to the point where I took a cardboard box and drew on the side of it, do tank treads and all this stuff, and I taped a pair of binoculars to the top of it, and I made my very own Johnny Five from Short Circuit. I thought that was the coolest, funniest fucking robot, and I had such a huge crush on Ali Sheedy. I had no idea that he wasn't actually Indian.
0: You're referring to Stephen Fisher, by the way, because you didn't say who he was. (laughs) I'm like, no, Ali Sheedy was not playing an Indian character, I don't believe.
1: I had no idea Stephen Fisher wasn't actually an Indian, uh, which now if you watch you're like, oh, this is a problem. But when I was a kid, it was the coolest fucking movie. When I was a kid, I liked Part 2 more because Part 2 is the more fun one where it becomes the punk and all this stuff because I was a kid. Now, if you watch them now, Part 2 is not very good, but Part 1 still kind of really holds up. It's still a really fun movie. It's a fun movie that I, I could see myself watching with my daughter in a couple years and having her really enjoy it and things like that. I, I just think Johnny Five is such a really well done sort of animatronic character too. There's a lot of personality in that character with the weave, the weave and the way the eye flaps sort of change and things like that. Like I said, for me being a, basically a kid of the late 80s, early 90s, there was no cooler robot than Johnny Five.
0: Yeah, I'd watched um, Short Circuit as a kid and both of them, uh, my dad showed me those. And also I think Short Circuit 2 was another one of those just aired on Comedy Central a lot. When I was younger, it was I think it's the reason why I liked it more. I agree, yeah, probably because it was also very kiddy. and also Johnny Five becomes like a punk, and then there's the whole sequence where like he gets dismantled, and then he chases after them, and it, it's like isn't it hold I'm holding out for a hero is playing during that right or some shit. Yes. Yeah, yeah, this <laughs> the most obvious. <laughs> <laughs> um but i have not revisited those i think mainly because of fisher stevens honestly is probably why i haven't revisited those in recent years the last time i even thought about short circuit was there's a bit in master of none the aziz Ansari show aziz says to one of his indian friends like man they didn't cast indian guys and in anything like they short circuit it was just some white dude and this other indian friend is like that wasn't an indian guy i feel so betrayed
1: what are you it now it's, it's very uh a ish, but you
0: vibes is, I think, pretty accurate. Yeah, from what I remember of that. But at the same time, with Johnny Five, yeah, I remember at least, like, he, he's a very simple design and it really works for, like, the animatronics. I agree. And the voice, to be fair, also, uh, Tim Blaney, um, who was the voice yes. actor. Oh, good. I
1: want to be alive.
0: <laughs> Johnny I'm Five here. is alive. <laughs> And all this other shit, it's yeah, good. It, it it works. Yeah, I I remember liking it, like I said, a lot as a kid. Um, I it was not on honorable mentions or anything like that, but that's another cute choice, Adam. Fuck you, man. <laughs> <laughs> the the last one I have before um my my number one, since I was gonna have T eight hundred after this, but we already talked about it previously. So I'll go with uh, my second to last choice here, which is um the Star Wars choice I was mentioning earlier, and I guess uh, qu- to Adam this is the basic choice. Uh, one of the basic choices, but I would argue, I think, of the two robots, it's the one that at least gets more, sort of, like, criticism hurled at him, necessarily. I have, uh, from Star Wars, C-3PO, who I think is more divisive than R2-D2 as a character, because, like, I, n- you know, no uh, one usually has any issues with R2-D2, aside from, like, the weird things that he does in the prequels don't
1: make any sense. It's like, oh, he can fly around, but that never happened at any you know, any point afterwards. But also in the prequels, C-3PO was built by Anakin so I mean there's there's arguments everywhere
0: well that's true but also I think just the personality of C-3PO in general I've seen even from people like oh I love the original trilogy but C-3PO is so annoying he just keeps talking oh, I, right uh, what, what I like about C-3PO is the fact that I think he has one more personality than R2-D2 as much as I like R2-D2 a lot I think C-3PO has a more like fun interesting personality it's just sort of like this British butler who's constantly taken on journeys and constantly isn't equipped for them at all
1: as a and design. bothering people and, and, and doing things in the, at the worst possible moment. Right. Like, yeah, dude, c through po is the perfect movie robot. I agree.
0: Well, uh, but uh, to continue my thoughts on my choice, I put on my list. Uh, <laughs> but um, I just love the design of the protocol droids as well, um, because it's very clearly inspired by like some earlier robot stuff. But also, it's just so perfect where like the way his arms move in that particular where he can't actually bend them forward that much like so he just has a constant like oh my word just going around like that it's so funny to me and i think he's more consistent even in like the later the, the recent sequel trilogy i would argue he has a lot of fun moments that like some people have the criticism like oh my god why aren't him and rt 2 used as much It's like well one bb-8's there and bb it's a cute new robot i completely get it but also you don't like need to have them do much more than they do in the sequel trilogy particularly I'll never stop fucking laughing at his introduction in Force Awakens with just like the the big reunion of Han and Leia. And then he comes in like,
1: sir, look, it's me.
0: Look at my red arm. Did you notice my red arm? <laughs> just like, who gives a fuck, dude? Get the fuck out of here.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. It's a classic sort of rehash of the moment Empire Strikes Back when they're Han and Leia are about to kiss. And C-3PO pops in. He's like, oh, thank you. (laughs) You Yeah. No, dude, C-3PO is perfect. Yeah. Perfect. Anthony Daniels is amazing.
0: Right. Yes, Anthony Daniels, which we should mention, he's one of the few times where the guy doing the voice is also the guy in the suit. In this particular right. case, even down to the most recent movies, despite how, at this point, what, he's, like, pushing 70, I think, at this point? Um, he's still a in the of... suit that whole time, and uh, he's been the voice in every single possible incarnation <laughs> of any Star Wars bullshit. If you hear C-3PO's voice, fucking Anthony Daniels probably recorded yep, that yep. shit. The moment that, like, introduces you to Star Wars is him and R2-D2 on the ship in Episode 4, yep. and you instantly are immediately thrown into this back and forth with him and R2-D2, and he is so vital For that to, like, work as well as it does. He's more of a comedic foil, but at the same time, I think that works so well for any of the comedic beats I think work perfectly. Even stuff that can be kind of questionable, like, say, in Return of the Jedi, when he ends up becoming a god to a primitive species that has some weird optics to it. It's still really funny to see him, especially in the fucking status of this godship, and he doesn't have any kind of, like, godliness to him. It's so upset. Like, honestly, the only time where I really have issue with C-3PO is just in Attack of the Clones, when they use him for full-on like slapstick shit with him and the battle droids, and the whole bit where his head's being dragged, and he says, this is such a drag. He's just like, guys... God fucking damn it. Yeah. <laughs> Why are we doing that? But also, at the same time, even in the prequels, I really love the look of him uh, sort of naked. The puppet animatronic they use for that, where it's being manipulated by, like, Anthony Daniels on green screen and stuff. Uh, I just... I, I think C-3PO has been the more consistent robot
1: to me of, of any of the Star Wars movies, really. The thing is... You know, as my next pick's going to illustrate, I, I, there are certain robot characters that are a pair. You know, a lot of people, C-3PO, R2-D2, c 3 But I believe there is enough of a differentiation between those two characters to where C-3PO to me is absolutely the standout. I, I think uh, in basic design and look, and what a smart idea to make this shiny sort of gold, copperish looking robot with these bright yellow eyes and yet there's so much emoting and everything that comes between it he's this real nebbish sort of scared character who's constantly whining about everything yet he's the crux behind a lot of the story of the star wars universe i i i I absolutely love c-3po love c-3po
0: Well, Adam, I have a feeling based on some process of elimination and context clues about what your pairing might be and what might be uh, breaking the rules a bit. So uh, go ahead and uh, break the rules. What's what's that uh, next choice?
1: Well, I broke the rules in in the ass. In the ass. I broke the rules in the ass. (laughs) I have a hard time separating the two. And uh, my next choice is Tom Servo and Crow. Because I love them both for different reasons but I could not separate them like I don't think I could enjoy them without the other like I Tom Servo is great because of his sort of interaction and inclusion with Crow and and I do think vice versa um I I I mean we both have seen them live I have the Funko pops of them I I still like you know watch riff tracks to this day i'll watch old mystery science theater to this day they they were the first sort of um example to me of how to watch a movie that's so bad it's good and bulk fun of it it's because of them that i'm able to do that with certain movies um they're so important to me as far as even uh a lot of my sense of humor and um just sort of my criticism on film in general because of those two characters i i I just i can't sort of i can't separate them to me the one does not exist without the other and i i think you know it's one of those things it was so niche and nerd culture and sort of you had to be in this club if you'd like to mystery science theater like it wasn't super mainstream um but it's just it's one of those nerd clubs that I'm so happy to belong in and it's because of those two characters and and I just I love them so so much like I would kill literally I would murder you Thomas just you though not nobody else but I would murder you Thomas to have uh, like life-size replicas of them in my home I, I I just I can't sing their praises enough, I, I absolutely love those two characters. They have informed my sort of appreciation of film and sense of humor about film um, since the beginning and to this
0: day. Well, it's uh, time for me to finish writing my ticket for you to go to jail for breaking the rules. Um, nah, I don't care. It's fine. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, as I mentioned, I love I Tom break, Servo.
1: I'll give you that. I did break the rules. I, I'm sorry, but you know what? So. You know what? <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, I believe this is uh, law and order. You are sentenced to jail, uh, straight to jail
1: with you. <laughs> yes.
0: Um But no, I mean, I, I mentioned my love of Tom, so I guess I'll stick mainly to Crow here. Um. Yeah, I, I really um have been endeared, especially their, their back and forth. And Crow also I think just has like at least the more zany kind of like threads, especially in like the Mike era, where you would have him like either encounter an evil twin or or he would do like some of the things they would do cheaply with like Crow where he would like stretch out his arms like there's that one episode where i think they just stretch him out <laughs> and he's super it's tall so <laughs> <laughs> it's so fucking funny or even just weird stuff like his love of people like Estelle Winwood um or yes <laughs> um his uh, his love of Kim Cattrall and shit like that of course uh, just like really fun stuff and they, they work so well for you cuz Tom has kind of like the uh, bigger brother attitude to Crow that really works for their like back and forth. And obviously whoever the host is kind of has to play dad in that scenario. And it works really well between the two of them. And also the design for Crow, once again, is so perfectly like cheap where you can tell like, Oh, there's part of like a hockey, like guard mask thing for his head. And the whole bit of like his mouth is like a pinball, uh, a pin, uh, a bowling pin and shit like that. Um, It's such a like fun and genius little design. And I think that it works for, like, the homemade aesthetic that Joel Hodson kind of created for that show. It's just perfectly exemplified in those two robots. And, uh, yeah, it's, a, you know, they're both worthy of being on the list. Maybe not on the same entry in the rules that we established. But, you know, they're so both worthy yeah, I, of being on the list. I don't that. I'm a rule breaker. A rebel, a, a renegade. Give me your badge and your yeah. gun. You're off the Patreon force. <laughs> well, Adam... Now, um, we have reached the point where it's time to do our number ones. And, uh, I
1: oh I'm very curious. I'm very, very curious. I think I know your number one might be. I think I do.
0: Here's the thing, yeah, I, I, I think mine would be more obvious to anybody who knows me, but I'm very curious about yours because I can't think of it at the moment. But you broke the rule, so it could be anything. Who knows? You could just go full renegade at this point.
1: But True.
0: But... I'll go ahead and do mine, uh, which fits in the parameters, and like I said, if you know who I am, you know I'm a big fan of this uh, big old fella and his movie. I have The Iron Giant from the eponymous film, The Iron Giant. Um, this was always going to be number one. Um, the Iron Giant is one of my favorite just characters in film or TV or anything, and I think it's because... He's such a phenomenal example of having, like, a robot arrive on Earth and have, like, these kind of, you know, sort of almost E.T. kind of issues with, like, being a fish out of water and learning to have affection for a human. And then, especially as he learns the concept of death and what that means and how he wrestles with that, it's such a phenomenal, especially use of, like, the cell shading kind of computer animation that works perfectly off the 2D. It's one of the great blends that you would see a lot in the late 90s of those two styles. Voice by Vin Diesel has a scream, mix of being huge and booming, but also childlike. And just some of my favorite animated moments in general are like him discovering the deer and realizing what that means or him like having the Superman stance or especially the moment where it seems like Hogarth has died and uh, a Dean tries to confront him about it like, you killed him, you did this. And he has the most sad look on his face that he would do this. And, it, like, crushes his soul so horribly. To the point where, like, obviously when we get to the ending, and he does the Superman thing, and any human has some kind of emotional reaction, whether it is crying or some kind of feeling of pang of emotion at that point, it just proves that, like, yeah, he's just the one of the greatest characters in, like, movies to me, robot or human or otherwise. He supersedes... Is that uh, programming?
1: Yeah, I, I, I think the Iron Giant is the most perfect. I mean, if you want to call it this, but the most perfect non-Disney animated film ever made. If not one of the most perfect animated films ever made. I, I think it's an absolutely joy of the film. Um in and, and the way it's told, the aesthetic of it, the character design, the sort of setting of it. Vin Diesel's performance, amazing. It's just such a beautiful, beautiful, sweet film that really elicits emotion out of you. And I, I cannot agree with you more about The Iron Giant. I think it's absolutely perfect. I, I knew that was going to be your choice, and uh, I can't disagree with you in any way. That's one of the, the few animated movies that I can actually put on any time and watch from beginning to end with no pauses, no interruptions, and thoroughly enjoy myself every time I watch it.
0: So you would say, uh, you don't go, you stay. But you want people to follow you in that case. Oh man, that ending is so sad. <laughs> <It's> so <laughs> well Adam, it's so now I'm incredibly curious, well, who is your number numero uno Roboto?
1: My number one of all time is, I picked it because A, it gave me nightmares as a child, B, I think it's a just a, perfect performance ever is Yul Brenner as the man in black in Westworld. He is terrifying. He's absolutely just enigmatic when he's on screen. His line delivery is flawless. You absolutely become scared of him after a while. Um, even when he's first on screen and he gets plugged by homeboy in the 70 stash, you're, you're like, oh, yeah, I get it. Even then, though, you're like, oh, there's something about that guy. And he becomes basically a Terminator robot before Terminator existed. He's terrifying. And it's just his physicality and the way he moves. Obviously, it's Yul Brenner. He was a dancer and a Broadway performer. But it adds so much to the character to where, like I said, I had nightmares about him as a child. And he still is one of my top 10 most terrifying characters of all time. I, I I cannot express how much that performance and the idea of that character opened my eyes to the possibility of robots being evil and what they could do if they turn against humanity. And he is single handily responsible for that
0: well um i have seen westworld and i won't necessarily uh poo poo the actual character i think um the the choice of yule brenner obviously works really well because of the what we were taking from like the magnificent seven at that time and seeing brenner in that particular role i do agree that's a lot of the inspiration for terminator and i guess i didn't just have him as an arm mention necessarily because i'm not a fan of that original westworld movie I think it's a really dull slog when, especially, we don't see the Yul Brynner robot, and I don't give a single fuck about those two dudes that we follow throughout most of the movie. I think it's a cool concept that just was like not executed that well by a Michael Crichton who I don't believe had directed a movie at that time. and I really think it shows for the most part in that movie. Um, I think other people, like you mentioned, like the Terminator and some of these other influences, even like the at least the first season of the the TV show inspired by it, I think did. A lot better with that concept. The the robot, though, at the same time, I don't think it's a it's a bad choice at all to have. Well,
1: thanks. <laughs> but, <laughs> but like I said, and I because I do still really like the movie because it's one that I saw it as a kid and holds special place in my heart. But taking that aside, watching Yul Brenner's performance and what he does with it to me is why he's my number one. He he takes kind of silly material and a schlocky sort of movie, which would be considered probably a B movie uh, by today's standards and really elevates his performance. It, he's just, you know, he, he's terrifying and, and he's so well done. He's such a little fella too. And he's got sashing hips the whole time. And there's just some about him though, that is so intimidating and evil. Um, And, and what they did with the lighting on the eyes, And everything, I mean, he's just, yeah, for me, he's the quintessential sort of robot gone bad.
0: He is definitely the best part of that movie.
1: You know who I wanted (laughs) to pick this one? But I didn't because I decided at the very last minute that they shouldn't be sort of included because they're bioengineered. (laughs) And how nerdy we were talking Uh, is Roy Batty, of course, for Blade Oh, wait, yeah, why? What? They're bioengineered. They're not robots. They're flesh and blood. They just have a, a, a lifespan. They're not robots.
0: Huh. Um, okay. I mean, that's honestly the only reason why I didn't have any Blade Runner things on here, because I figured you would do it.
1: Oh, no, it would have been my baddie, but I did a little bit of my own research. They do, they have no mechanical parts or gear parts. <laughs>
0: I just love the irony of Mr. Motherfucker broke the rules. It's like, but I gotta stick to the rules this time.
1: Oh, man. Well, of co- well it would have been Roy Batty as number one. <laughs> but, you know, because Roy Batty is my all-time movie villain of all time. He's my favorite. Ever. But he has no gears or uh, robot parts. And this, how nerdy this whole thing got, to where I started second-guessing my own choices. And I hate you for it, Thomas. I hate you. <laughs> I wrote your name in the snow, and
0: piss. (laughs) Well, I used to consider that an honor, I appreciate it, that's such a, that's a big distinction. Well, then I pooped on it, then I pooped on the name. Oh, that's an even, I think that's like kind of like a knighthood, but then you also have like a second part, like a title attached, I'm like a duke now, I guess, I don't know.
1: Well, people keep knocking on my door and asking, who is this Sarah Thomas?
0: (laughs) Well, uh, I think on that note, I think it's time we go into honorable mentions then, Adam. Uh, Ones that uh, didn't make your list, even though you break the rules all the time. So I'm not surprised if any of your honorable mentions aren't on the list. So go ahead. What's next? What's your honorable mentions?
1: All right. Well, we you already did Robbie the Robot. I had the T1000. I had David from Prometheus, because I mean, what is just a masterful performance. I had Gigolo Joe from AI. I had the Fembots from Austin Powers, because I think they're hilarious. I had Starscream. From uh, you know Transformers, because not only is he Starscream, but it's Cobra Commander's voice too. So that always got me as a kid. I had Gertie from Moon, the Kevin Spacey robot. The only reason to make my list because Kevin Spacey. I have Bender. I have the Chopping Mall drones, and then I have the Kiadu replica because when he tightens his tie <laughs> in the end, it is the funniest <laughs> shit I've seen. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay well um for me i'll, I'll just say right at the top the ones that i shared at least you with you for arlo mentions ed 209 uh, was on your regular list um but also an arlo mention. one gertie you mentioned um i would agree gigolo joe as well was on there um but some other ones um would be uh, mechagodzilla from the various different godzillas
1: oh, god damn it wow what that godzilla
0: the, the the weird thing about Mechagodzilla, though, is sometimes he's technically a cyborg because he may have, like, parts of Godzilla, and sometimes he's, like, a mech that people are in. That's why I didn't choose him, honestly, because it's a weird, different variety. So, I was just like, I'll just have him as an
1: mention. He's gonna be in the new movie.
0: Maybe. Okay. I wouldn't be surprised. um But also, I had uh, the machine person from Metropolis. Ooh.
1: Yeah. Well, talk about iconic. Yeah. That's True. that's so iconic. Yes.
0: Uh, TikTok from Return to Oz, we've talked about on the show previously. Um, I had Gort from Davier Earth Stood Still. Oh,
1: no. Why <laughs> wasn't Gort on my list?
0: Because um, you had to make room for <laughs> yeah. breaking the rules. Um, I had uh, Gurr from Invader Zim. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, who always found very funny. I had Marvin the Paranoid Android from The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, whether movie or the, the TV annotation, they did i have always loved that character. And then I have the two sort of, like, funnier ones. I have um, one BB from Deadly Friend, who I think is, like, such a oh, f- stupid fucking funny that droid. That... Fucking list, dude. That <laughs> almost made my fucking <laughs> Same, list. honestly. It was on there for a while, then I'm like, no, I'm not going to put that on there. Um, but then also I had the cybernetic ghosts of Christmas Past from the Future from Aqua Teen on
1: <laughs> Yo, my God! Oh, my God. That's perfect. Every time that fucking robot shows up, it's just like... In a long time ago in the future.
0: <laughs> yes. Just the funniest fucking thing. Oh,
1: part. you got me with that one. Oh, that's a I, good one. It seems that like is... I did you
0: several. You were just like, oh, my God, why wasn't that there?
1: Mm-hmm. You really, really did, man. You had a lot of good ones, man. I almost threw, like, some silly ones on mine. Like, I did Obviously, they're on mine. But I almost put old man, just to throw you for a fucking loop. <laughs> but then I'm like, how am I going to explain that? I can't do
0: that. Look, honestly, the biggest <laughs> loop is that not putting Roy Batty on there. That was, like, the biggest I, loop no. you could have ever done.
1: <laughs> But like I said, man, I did
0: a little bit of research and it wouldn't have made sense. I get it. I get it. But I mean, like the one I regret not at least having most on there is probably like a gigolo Joe. I think Jake Lojo is just like, especially an underrated one that deserves a lot more mention. It's just sort of like a really complex, interesting robot that doesn't get enough love now, 20 years after that fucking movie came out.
1: That's one of those few movies we've covered on our show, too, to where after we've watched we've watched it, expecting it to be kind of like the bad pick, where we're like, no, this is actually a really good fucking movie.
0: <laughs> this is a phenomenal movie. Not enough people are talking about it. <laughs> <laughs> this is <actually> really phenomenal. <laughs> one of the grand rated sci-fi classics of our time. Um... It absolutely is. <laughs>
1: Ten uh could have been on this
0: list. That's true. <laughs> nope. uh, of, of at least your honorable mentions, what is the one that you regret not having on there the most?
1: Probably Gigolo Joe, honestly. Either Gigolo Joe or uh, David from Prometheus. Yeah,
0: David was one I really contemplate just because, like, I, those movies have so many problems, but David is so consistently fascinating.
1: He's so good. It's, it, it, it is my favorite Fast Banner performance, is
0: David. Yeah, it's also, it's the, it would, I would argue, of, like, the various robots you mentioned, he's, like, the bleakest character possible.
1: Yeah, oh my god, he's terrifying. Like, I don't
0: think any of our other robots committed genocide.
1: Uh, well, no, not unless you got the T-800 and
0: his model. But no one single character committed genocide. Oh, one single
1: character committing mass genocide? No. Then, yeah, it's David. <laughs> yeah.
0: Honestly, I rewatched sure. both those movies, and especially I think Covenant
1: is a lot better than I remembered. Covenant's not a bad movie. No, honestly. it's not. But I think Covenant is a little bit more—I um, don't want to say comprehensible, but a little bit more even consistent tone than Prometheus.
0: Yeah, that's why I think I like it more. I think it has a better balance of like the gory stuff from like the aliens, and also just the the weird Prometheus stuff that I think works a lot better as a as a blend. It fits so perfectly also as like a bleak Ridley Scott movie of just like even like the people acting stupid. I think works so much better. In that context, we're just like, oh, of course, this is like his view on humanity. Of course, these like super intelligent people do stupid things all the time. Honestly, being in the middle of COVID kind of made their actions far less stupid. (laughs) Because like, oh, people doing stupid, even if they're super smart scientists, of course they would do these stupid things on the alien planet.
1: Let's sniff this random fucking vegetable pod on a planet we've never been to. Yeah. Let's do that. How fucking dumb are you covenant holds up a lot more than prometheus does i still like a lot of the um, sort of production design of prometheus uh but covenant's a better movie i think
0: plus i would also say of the, the the weird like weird interstitial things they released with both prometheus and covenant the best one of those is the sort of intro video they did for david where it's just uh, michael Fassbender talking directly to camera as david and it's so unsettling I'd recommend anything else watching that video. it's all, You can find it online. It's really great.
1: Yeah, it's creepy and weird.
0: But yeah, I think that ends our robot list. Uh, that was interesting. Very contentious. very uh, Lots of back and forth I didn't expect. But no, that was, that was a very twisty and turny little episode we did there, Adam.
1: It was very Shyamalanic.
0: <laughs> what a twist, he is. Uh but before we go, we did want to at least read a brief bit of feedback from one of our patrons and a guest on the show previously, Jonathan mchale talking about our Tron legacy commentary, where he says, Another great commentary. I really forgot how drawn out this movie was, um, after the nightclub scene. Michael Sheen is the real gem of the later half of the movie. Uh, with the constant exposition, it seemed like Korra's uh, DNA posed medical breakthroughs via biodigital jazz of the ISOs. That should have really been the crux of Clue's conflict. Like you guys said, they should have been more concerned with expanding the control over the grid and destroying the uncontrollable. A war against a digital fascist would have been great. Uh, we got a fake-looking deep fake of Jeff Bridges and a naive, yet alluring Olivia Wilde instead. Yeah, I think that's the conclusion we pretty much came to with that commentary. Um, I did listen back to that commentary, not to toot our own horns, but it's probably my favorite of the commentaries we've done, just because of the weird sort of turn we both kind of do on the movie <laughs> by the end of it.
1: Yeah, I agree. I, I had a really good time uh, recording that one. Like I said, it, that was one of the ones that, you know, I really championed that movie when it came out, and then re-watching it for our show, I'm like, I still like it, but I can see the faults in it, and that's okay. And that is okay. You could Great. still like something and see the faults. You don't have to be all in all the time.
0: Yes, of course. That's definitely the case. Uh, but before we officially leave Now Adam, it's time we tease some things. Uh, first off, the next main episode we're definitely going to do for the bonus thing where we always commit to at least one bonus episode for all of you guys. For March, it is going to be, as we've teased on uh, sort of the posts and stuff and everything, we are doing a March madness bracket where um, it'll be us and three other compatriots uh, who we've come together with and we have uh, as you saw on the post that we asked where we asked for you guys to contribute a couple choices we have 32 slots that are filled and uh, of the best movie villain and it's a very wide range and interesting it's insane. <laughs> yeah, amount of different it's choices the seating we've already done is quite fascinating Um, it'll be fun to record that um, also anticipate yeah uh, you're going to get every bit of your, at least a dollar on that. Cause that's going to be a long ass episode.
1: So <laughs> like we're talking hours, son, Probably. because we're going to go every, every character. It's going to be super fun though. Yes. Um,
0: and I'm really happy with the people we've chosen and who's contributing as well.
1: Let's throw in a caveat though, for anybody who's listening to this, who might be curious about what we're doing. We're talking about each particular, Person as a villain, we're not making them fight each other.
0: No, very good because point. If yes. they
1: fight each other, it's going to be chaos. Yes, which I'm all for. Which there might still be a little inkling of that here and there, but it's just going to be who was the better villain in their original source material.
0: Yeah, because I mean, some of those choices, even including the two of the choices that were uh, picked by you patrons, um, if they faced off against certain other characters, they would not be a fair fight. And it would be pretty easy to determine if it was just based on. There's two
1: characters that were chosen who would win the whole fucking thing. Yes, if we went that way. So, but we're not going that way.
0: We're going by the actual clout of their characters as villains, for sure. Yes. Um, and also, and I think we can tease this here. Uh, we've been talking about doing this where um, at, back in December we did the little sort of surprise podcast thing where we talked about Wonder Woman and Soul. Uh, to recent yes. uh, releases on streaming. And uh, we're going to, I guess, kind of bring that back as another semi-regular podcast. It depends on the movie, what's coming out, what we're going to do with it, um, that we want to talk about. Um, I know, in, uh, and we're going to call it, uh, I believe, the title we both uh, mutually agreed on was On the Edge of Relevance. Yes. Like we said, it's going to be semi-regular. It depends on the movie. I think the one, I, one of the ones we're going to do definitely would be Godzilla vs. Kong. But I do think also, are we going to do the Justice League Snyder Cut, Adam? Are we going to talk about that?
1: I think we kind of have to. Because, A, I don't want to devote a whole other episode to DC. And I don't want to devote a whole episode to Zack Snyder. But that is a very important sort of monument in cinema, modern cinema, that's happening. Uh, So, yes, I think we might have to do the Snyder Cut. I would
0: not just maybe important as much as interesting piece of cinema <laughs> well, uh,
1: yeah, well important in the way that is this going to become a regular thing
0: We'll we'll talk about that so- for sure Yeah. So i think it's, it's pretty clear that'll come out on march 18th so around at some point we keep in mind this will be very like loose we're gonna it'll not be a very like well edited no, episode necessarily we'll, it. we'll yeah. watch it we'll talk about it, and i'll put it up with some very minor editing basically yeah when we uh talk about it so yeah that'll be the 18th so at some point around like that following week we'll talk about it um, but yeah, anticipate those on a semi-regular basis.
1: And I also want to tease something else for our patrons. Yes. We have sort of discussed a new commentary that won't be for a little while, but I'm going to say it might be the best commentary for the best movie ever made.
0: Uh, yeah, they'll come out in May, and in April we'll have a media discussion, which we'll announce um, around the end of the March Madness thing, you know, when we're both delirious. And just yes. completely gone as people just oh, by the way, we're going to talk about this show. Right. <laughs> um, but, but, yeah, so that'll be a lot of fun. So stay tuned, patrons. And on that note, it's uh, time to power down, Adam. Time to power down your power cells.
1: I don't know how to, love. You never taught me how.